Consider this question. Hmm. Consider this question. Consider this question. Consider this question. Consider this question. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Consider this question. This was recorded on Thursday, June 25th. It's a conversation between uh, Jim, Ryan, and Drew about how they prepare. These guys are really good at uh, teaching and preaching, and they get a lot of questions about how they prepare. So they spent about 25 minutes or so uh, discussing that, and it'll give you a lot of insight into what's required uh, for these guys who really are very good at what they do to do it as well as they do. A lot goes on behind the scenes. So enjoy the conversation. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Drew and I'm here with Jim and Ryan today. Um, we're going to do kind of a, a shorter one today, just just jumping into this question, one that um, I know I've gotten a handful of times um, in in my uh, ministry. And, and Jim, I know you've actually gotten quite a bit, honestly. And, and I assume, Ryan, with as much teaching as you're doing on a regular basis, uh, here at Sunnybrook that, that you've um, talked through a few times. And that's basically this question, and I'll, I'll frame it towards you, Jim. But with all the teaching and all the preaching that you're doing week in and week out, um, how do you do that? And, and specifically, what does the process look like for you to put together a sermon or to put together a lesson? How do you go from nothing on Monday to that sermon that you're preaching on, on Sunday. I just want us to talk a little bit about that and, and let people kind of in on the process and even kind of the heart behind some of that. So, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll start that with you. What, man. One of the most interesting questions that I usually get, and it's funny because the, the number one thing they ask me is not, Hey, how do you, how do you craft it? Yeah. They're usually asking me, how long does it take you? That's yeah, like yeah. the number one question. So how long does it take you to pull that together? I don't know if they're just trying to figure out if I'm doing anything else with my week. Yes. Um, but that's kind of an interesting question. And I'm, I'm going to kind of leave that one to the side and kind of talk more about what you're describing, which is how do you go from um, a text? I'm assuming we're going to start there, right? Yes. So we already have a text or we already have a topic. And then how do we go out from there? Yes. Um, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we're just going to have to assume, and I guess you're coming back to it at the end, is that there's already kind of an idea that I have or we have in our heads in terms of what needs to be taught. So I'm not coming into it clean. I'm in the process right now of writing two sermons. One of them is on community, and the other one is on confession. And so, I mean, I already know an idea about yes. what I'm doing. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of use these a little bit as kind of like a kind of a typical uh, scenario. So I'm writing on community. I'm writing on confession. And one of the first things I begin to do is I begin to kind of just draft out. I learned this in my uh, homiletics, by the way, for those of you that are listening. I know that Ryan and, and Drew both know this. Um, homiletics is just the, I won't say a fancy word. It's just kind of the more technical word for preaching. Uh, it literally comes from the Greek word meaning to speak the same as. And so in homiletics, we're trying to speak the same as the text. And so whenever we're I dealing— I did not know that, actually. Took homiletics? Not, not for me. You. That's why. Exactly. That's why I, I won't say who it, it is because I bet you it was Matt Proctor. Yep. Yep. Okay. To go with Proctor. Yeah, Never man. knew what I was actually—I mean, I knew it was preaching. I just didn't— You didn't know where it came from. Speak the same as. Homiligeo. I like it. Homile. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, that's what the word means. And so I'm trying to speak the same way as the text. And so um, I like to begin with, when I took homiletics, I, I, I loved the fact that uh, our, our, our professor, um, Mark, would tell us, you need to think very specifically about objectives. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. um, and so I still actually find myself doing this. Um, and I divide it up into, into four different areas. What do I want to do to the head in form? What do I want to do to the heart, kind of inspire or move uh, emotionally? 
what do I want to do with the hands in mm -hmm. terms of, uh, you know, what, what, what application do we need to, to put to this text? How do we live this out? How do we live this out? Yeah. Um, what are some very practical instances in mm -hmm. which we can see holiness or whatever the topic might be? And then the last one would actually be, then what do we do to the will? And I know the will and the, um, the application can be the, uh -huh. the same thing, but I, I try to divide that up. So these are the things that I, I want to do. And as I began to write them out, and in, uh, in my stuff that I do, I talk about the, um, the cognitive, the affective, the cognitive. Okay, so those are kind of the three basic areas I'm dividing up. And as I'm thinking about how do I want to, to bring this about, how do I want to actually um, craft this topic in these ways, then I begin to look back at my objectives and say, you know, are they achievable? Which ones do I want to focus on? And I really begin by saying, okay, what is it that I want to do? Okay, so real quick, are you doing, are you asking all these questions about um, head, heart, hands, will, and, and my objective and goal? Are you, are you asking those questions before you really crack open the text or the topic or or, or are you kind of yeah, doing that good, as you jump in? Yeah, no, that's a good question because I, I, this, is where, this is where it changes over time. You know, I remember... Uh, at the very beginning, right? I mean, I could, I've changed a lot yeah. over the years, and part of it is just that I have a, a, a broader wealth of, of information yeah. that where I'm coming from. So I'll, um, if, for example, if I was going from not a topic but a text, yeah, right? Now, all of a sudden, the steps are going to be a little bit different. So uh -huh. I hope that didn't mess up what we're trying to accomplish. But no. if I'm dealing with more with the text, then um, I'm, I'm not trying to make the text say something. I'm trying to understand the text. Yeah. And there, I literally spend way more time reading through the text, reading through the text, reading through the text, reading through the text. So if we're in a series, um, say, Second Corinthians, which we've done, or Peter, which First Peter, which we've done, um, I'm actually saying, okay, I need to just look at this text and what is this text saying? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so we're reading over it and studying it and reading over it and studying it. Um, and so, and then from there, I then develop the objectives yes. for the, and, and I, I'll tell you, here's why that, here's why that's critical. So whether or not you start with the, the text and then get an idea and then say, what am I going to say about that idea in terms of the head and the hands and the heart? Let's just get at those three, yep. the head and the hands and the heart. What do I want to say about that? It has to line up with the text. So I don't want to. I don't want to somehow push it in a direction where the text isn't going to go. Yeah. Because that's not the objective to speak the same as. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, do you do so when you're real quick, like when you're starting off? Um, is it similar to to what Jim just described? Are you are you kind of thinking through these same type of objective things, or or how are you kind of kicking things off? Yeah. I I I spend a lot of time with the text itself. Like you said, I I, I find it very very helpful to experience the text before I get into study, before I get into objectives, experience it in a number of ways. So I'm always reading from multiple translations. Um, I like to go on runs and listen and let version read it to me because yep. it's, yeah. for whatever reason, hearing a text read, yep. I just pick up nuances mm. in it that I wouldn't necessarily see as I'm reading it. And even reading the text in context. Yeah. So I got this, you know, I'm doing these 10 verses from Romans yeah. 3. I love to listen to, Ryan, I think maybe the same thing. I like to listen to how it, how it fits. Yeah, yeah. I always, and I don't know that every text can offer this kind of um, approach, but I find it one of the most valuable things I can do is to read entire books of the yep. Bible, you know, and, and that can be difficult in such, in say a gospel, but first Peter, give me about 30 minutes and I can read the entire letter yeah. and, and I get a better sense of that, that big perspective. And then once I kind of get that overarching view and I've read it in a number of translations and I can kind of say, okay, well, there's, there's things there that I didn't necessarily see at the first reading then I can start to drill down into, yeah, okay, so what is this, what do I hope to achieve? And what, what is the you know, original meaning to the people in Asia Minor yeah. in First Peter's case? And then go yeah. from there. 
and I think I think that's the the, the part that I I love to focus on is that I've got to preach not what Drew needs to hear. And I'm not talking selfishly. I mean, sometimes we can actually know Drew really needs to hear an encouraging word. Yeah. Well, the encouraging word might actually be far more complicated than that. And the encouraging word might be repent or the yeah. encur- so to let the te- the text kind of stand on its own. Yeah. So when you is, say real quick, when you say not what Drew needs to hear, but you're actually you mean like the people who are sitting in the room on Sunday, me using me as that kind of yes. object. So you're not just going, what do they need to hear this week? Yes. You're, from from this text. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't start with the audience. Yeah. I start with the text itself. Or I start yeah. with and and this is this would go back even to the other one I was talking about. And you know, I'm on these community and confession. Yeah. Working on it last night. Um, as I'm thinking about that, I I've got to stay biblically true. So even though I've got texts to pull from on yeah. community and on confession, um, Ryan and I yesterday were talking about this yesterday. We went through all the uses of the word for confession and just kind of doing more of a lexical analysis, yeah. which means lexical means like a word analysis yeah. and realizing that um, it's sometimes translated praise. It's sometimes translated uh, confess or to state. And it's interesting when we think of confession, we almost always think confession of sin. Yep, That's a lot of it, but it's actually no confession of Christ or to acknowledge who Jesus is. And so before we just say, hey, we're going to be preaching on confession and this is what our people need to hear. It really is. No, this is what the Bible says. Yeah. And so trying to make sure that we do that, um, that we're that we're accurate. Yeah. Um, I, I would say is the number one thing that drives what the three of us, Steve when he preaches, Paul when he preaches, Scott when he preaches. Yeah. We want to speak truth. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me real quick. So once you've kind of done this study, you've worked through, how do you go with, okay, this is what I believe the text is saying, or this is what the Bible is saying about confession. And how do you go from, because technically you could just get up there and just spew out all the information that yep. you have on confession, yep. but you want to actually um, craft this in a way that A, makes sense, and B, actually does, like you said, affect the heart and the mind and the hands that, that kind of moves people towards something. So how do you kind of start, actually, what we call this uh, in in the homiletics class, the I do remember this part, hard chair and soft chair, because yep. those are words I understand. Explain um, that then. Yeah, yeah, Explain hard, so, soft chair, hard chair. So we, we talk about whenever you're putting together a, a, a lesson or a sermon that you, you have your hard chair, which is the work that's done in, is it like a hard chair, one that you're sitting at a desk and you're hunched over and you're reading commentaries and word studies and, you're, and you've got the text open and you're scribbling all over and you're just trying to understand what is the text saying. That's your hard chair. And then soft chair is, is, is more like you sitting in a, in a chair in your living room and you're just thinking and you're starting to just kind of move through and imagine how, what's the best way I can communicate this? How can I, now that I know the truth that I'm trying to convey, how can I illustrate that? How can I put that in a way that is understandable? So kind of what, what I'm talking about right now is that move from hard chair study. And this is what I'm saying to soft chair. This is how I'm going to communicate it. How do you guys start to move towards that? Well, with the objectives in mind, uh-huh. then I try to get the sermon down to an idea. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a, in, in in homiletics, we called it a dominant thought. So, what is it? What is it that I'm trying to say? Get it down into a sentence. And I, I probably, um, you know, I just feel like always the need to be honest. There are sometimes I just kind of have it in my head, yes. and I cheat. And you know, I wish I could be like um, some of my favorite preachers. You know, from the from my training days, I bet you Mark Scott, who's just somebody I've always really appreciated. I bet you he's never written a sermon that he didn't have a clearly articulated DT dominant thought. And I do that 70% of the time. Yeah. And a lot of it, I have more of an idea. Yeah. 
And uh, sometimes I, I nail those. The, the danger of not having it, and I would say clearly articulated, yeah. literally written down word for word, yeah. is that it then creates a fuzz, a fog. Yeah. And the statement that we say in homiletics is, um, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Yeah. And so what might seem a little bit nebulous to you is going to seem very nebulous to everybody else. Yes. And so, you know, to reasonable success, but sometimes I'll skip over that. And yeah. I'll just go, ah, you know, I know I know what I want to say. I kind of got it in my head. Yeah. And now I just start. And then from there, so I should do a better job of that. And yep. actually, I bet you for the next eight or ten sermons, I will. <laughs> um, but here, here's the next thing. And then the next immediate step is trying to get an outline for it. Uh-huh. And so here are the, here's the stuff that I want to say. These are the word studies that I'm using. These are the illustrations that I think are going to help drive those ideas home. And now I need like a structure that will create movement. So I want to begin here. I want to end there. And I usually do that. I usually, I, I fooled around with end to beginning, but uh-huh. I usually go beginning to end. So here's where I want to start. Here's where I want to go. And then I spend the rest of my time going, how do I want to get there? So introduction first. Yep. Conclusion last. Or okay. con- conclusion, sorry. Conclusion second. Uh-huh. And then building the bridge third Got is it. what I do. Got it. Do I want to take two steps to get from A to D or do I want to take uh, three steps or yeah. seven steps yep. to get from point A to point Yeah, B. that's very similar to um, Tim Keller just released a new preaching book, and he had a big conversation on Twitter. People were asking him questions. And one of the things that I really, really appreciated in terms of his advice to other preachers is have a solid outline, but trust that you know your your stuff. He yep. said, you know the meat and potatoes of your sermon. Yep. He said what he what he suggests is that you memorize your transitions. Yep. And so he says, you know, like you said, start find a, a beginning point and an end point and then really hammer down on what those transition phrases or movements are going to be to get you from introduction to conclusion. And it was really, really helpful. Even in the last sermon I preached, I I relied far less on my outline than I probably ever had because I just, I I spent a lot of time memorizing and understanding and articulating and really crafting my transitions in in the sermon. Yeah. And it really just helped me because instead of having a beginning and an end alone and hoping that I can memorize everything in between. Yeah. It was I had these kind of interstitiary signposts. That I, okay. Inter what? Interstitiary in between. Wow. We'll have Steve, boys Steve song, will I have think. to come in with, an, no, with I, a definition. I'll tell you, I love, <laughs> I, I just, here's what I love working with these guys is that they're smarter than me. And so I learn new words all the time. Inter, tertiary, inter. Stitiary. What, what I love about it is that you can admit that and then you will mock us incessantly. There's another one. You'll mock us incessantly <laughs> for it. That word I actually know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I actually, I try to say the crafting, the outlining, the, the shaping, mm-hmm. the, even deciding on the tone of the sermon, mm-hmm. I try to save that for the very, very end. Because one of the most helpful things that I have found is to, you know, come up with the dominant thought, to try to figure out how can I convince other people that this is actually true? And what is, why is it significant for the people in Stillwater? Figure out the illustrations to try to drill that down into the language of the people in Stillwater, our common experiences, the emotions we'll be feeling, and use illustrations to kind of launch into that. And then my favorite thing to do is to talk about my sermon with people that think differently than me. Mm-hmm. And so Drew will process things very differently than me. I'll run my sermon by him because it might all make sense to me, but that might just resonate with 20 or 30 people on Sunday. Well, and one of the things that we do that I think is actually really fun, and it's not just when I'm preaching, but, you know, lately we've been in a stretch where a number of other people have had an opportunity to preach for this series, you know. And so that's that's actually been really good. But on Mondays, we go over it. We sit down in a staff meeting. Hey, this week we're going to be talking about baptism and Paul's going to be preaching it. And so let's just kind of, hey, Paul, what are you thinking about? And guys, what are what can we learn? And I have learned so much 
from throwing that down on the table, um, I've already got kind of a lot of it done since our yeah. sermons get done here a lot earlier in the week because of the primer and stuff. Um, I think that it really is helpful to kind of run that through. And, you know, one thing I want to add to the, um, you're, you're describing, I forget how you worded it, Ryan, but the, the thing I thought of was as I'm walking through where I want to go, I'm always aware, cognizant maybe, mm. I'm cognizant of the fact that there are going to be objections, and I like playing those out. I love going, okay, so when I say God is love, um, and maybe it's the contrarian in me, but I think, okay, somebody's going to say, yeah, but what about? And I love kind of thinking through on the crafting side. So we're in the yeah. soft chair here, yeah. Drew, and I'm, and I'm literally thinking, okay, how do I answer these objections before they get there? And I, I, get, I get this statement a lot. Um, it was like, it, it's like you were talking to me. And what I find interesting is I delve a little bit deeper. It's usually not, um, I was talking to you like I was describing your experience, but I was actually kind of challenging your objection. And, and we have very similar objections, so it's not magic. Yeah. But when I make a statement, God is love and God is caring, right? Things are running through my mind, examples of where it's not. And I love in the soft chair to try to think not just beginning and end and not even just how do we move through those steps, but what are the challenges that are going to come up? Yeah. And so if you ever get a sense, I mean, I'm sure we all do this, but whenever you get a sense of like, how did they know I was thinking that? Yeah. It's because we thought that. Yeah. I, uh, in the Yahweh series, I, I was going over my sermon with the staff, and I remember I made this claim that God must condescend in order to meet us. And it was Diane Brown's objection to that that really kind of solidified this major illustration in my sermon. Yeah. I, I didn't realize, because to me that just always made sense. And I didn't realize that that was going to be a common objection. And it turns out it actually was something people would take as yeah. something of a negative, and yeah. I needed to spend some time on that. So it was helpful discussing that with other staff members. I love doing that. That's good. That's good. Um, let me, let's chat for just a second, kind of shift gears, um, and, and, and talk a little bit about before. You mentioned at the beginning, when, we're, when you're starting on something, it's because you've already got an idea that's, that's already been kind of laid out before you. That comes basically from our creative arts team, which is something yep. that Steve Broadway leads us through each week. Every Monday we meet together and talk through this stuff. And what we're doing is, is planning out sermon series at a time. We just knocked out our one that's coming in August. Um, and, and we're working through those, and we're working through what those individual sermons will look like. Let's talk for just a minute about how we do that, how we as a church, and I know this is a question some people have, how, how do we as a church decide what we're going to be preaching on yeah. or what we're going to be talking about? When, when is, where does that decision get made and why does that decision get made? Well, I think a lot of people think I make it. They think, yeah. hey, you know, this is what Jim wants to preach on. And it's, it's actually probably almost never really been that uh, from the time last 11 years, now on 12. We've actually had a much more uh, team-led plan. Yeah. Um, you know, I bring my convictions to the table that we need to be constantly going back between Old Testament and New Testament that it's really, really good for us. We've grown in a desire um, to be more exegetically based, meaning that we're going to be looking at texts and let the text speak for itself instead of driving uh, topics. Yes. Five things you need to hear about your marriage, three things you need to hear about your job, two things you need to hear about your kids. We're really saying, no, let's just deal with First Corinthians and let it deliver yeah. the, the goods. Um, and so, and, and we can go back at, our, at one of our retreats. You know, we go back and we take a look at everything that we've talked about um, Biblically, yes. the, the the Bible stories that we've gone through, the Bible books that we've gone through, we can go all the way back to two thousand fall two thousand four, and say this is what we've done. Yeah, these and are the books we've done. These are the books we've done, and so we're unbelievably aware of the last twelve yes. years before we even yes. move forward. And we try to be aware of with that. It's the reason we keep those is we can say, man, we have put 
a lot of emphasis on epistles and we've almost ignored prophecy. And yep. so we need to spend some time in a prophetic book. Yep. You know, we've, we've done a lot of narrative stuff and, and almost no poetry or whatever that is. And, and there's to, to keep us balanced on that because we do, we naturally drive towards our hobby horses or towards yep. the things that we like, which mm-hmm. is again, why I think you said we can't, we, we try not to just start with what do our people want to hear or need to hear. And, and you could, you could do just year long through parenting stuff yes. or through <laughs> finances, financial yep. stuff or great not, biblical ideas, not bad things to talk about. But if, if we if we always go to that instead of first going to the text and letting that kind of drive us, then it's easy to get caught up in peripheral matters yes. rather than the mm-hmm. central truths of the gospel, yep. the central truths of Jesus. And, and, and here's what happens. Um, then we know how to parent, but we don't know why we're parenting that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. So the Bible books help us more with the why than they do with the how. And yeah. not, not, not that there can't be. I mean, yes. don't, yes. don't make this a zero, hundred, some yeah. proposition, but... Um, there is that connection, and the Bible books force us to explain the why. Yeah. Um, and then the topics are needed. Topics are very yeah. you know, valuable. So we've chosen a book, or we've chosen um, a, a series that we're going to be going through or whatever, and, and then kind of what, where do we, what do you guys kind of see us moving to next generally when we do those things? Um, well, on this, on this one that's coming up in August, it's a topical series. Uh-huh. and. And one of the big questions that we threw up is what are some of the um, phrases and the language that we're going to use to remain consistent throughout? Yeah. And then Scott did a great job of saying, what's our tone going to be in this sermon series? And after we kind of start to decide on um, phrases or, or keywords or key thoughts and tone, then we can start to say, okay, well, now we can maybe drill down and, and understand is this going to be purely topical or are we going to spring from texts themselves? And, and it's a, uh, kicking it around like that before we get into say artwork and and this that and the other and more of the creative element we really want to have the 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 preaching element determined and let that set the creative element instead of having the other way around you know we could just make really cool artwork drive our sermons and that wouldn't and and one of the things you know that we this this series and we, we do it we do it actually quite a bit we don't feel that people really we have never really articulated it's not people's fault we have as a leadership have not clearly articulated with the foundation of the gospel. So we need to hit that, right? That's where it comes from, which yeah. is which is from our prayer, from our conversations, you know. So I, I love the fact that whether it's a sermon or whether it's actually a sermon series, we're, we're mining um, ideas and thoughts that we're always talking about as a staff, that we're always talking about as a leadership. And so, for example, the one that's coming up this fall, can I say the title? Yeah. Okay, Winter. Um, and it's really this idea that we're sensing, and it's not just we, the church is talking a lot right now about how culture and the church are falling away from each other. Yes. There's, a, there's a misstep that is actually happening. Um, and we're beginning to get a sense that there's a lot of frustration and a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. And we also realize that this isn't the first time this has happened, mm-hmm. um, that the moral majority came out of a, a, a kind of a misstep that was happening in the 70s and in the 80s. And we're wanting to say, let's address this. Let's talk about this. And so that really comes from, just so you understand, it's not just, hey, guys, Russian roulette. Or not Russian roulette. What's the other roulette wheel? <laughs> just not roulette. Russian. Yeah. Wow. Not Russian. Creative um, arts meetings th- are crazy. They are dangerous. <laughs> they are dangerous places. So we, we spin the roulette, the roulette wheel and we just let a topic land. No, I mean, there really is a lot of a... Hey, Ryan, what are you, I mean, a lot of this has actually come from stuff and the stuff that you, particularly you two 
have been saying, hey, guys, this is what's coming out of Europe. This is what's coming out of you know these churches. These are what these writers who are clearly aware of where culture and the gospel, yes. those things, and we we then, you know, we're praying about it. We're thinking about it. It's taking, what, months for us Yeah, just to come up with this? Yeah, yeah. So I just, I want people to realize, like, it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. We're we're really looking collectively at what we've taught and where we're going. Yes. And and notice, it's kind of interesting what, what I'm even, I think I, I knew this, but it's easy to kind of see it as we're talking to it, that actually our process for determining a series is kind of like a, an enlarged version of the process for putting together a single sermon. Yep. And mm-hmm. that is we try and spend a lot of time figuring out what is the text, what is the Bible saying about this? And then from there we move into how can we effectively communicate this? Yeah. And we don't put creative stuff on the, but we, our team is the creative arts team because we believe um, God's word is important enough that we need to consider how we can communicate it creatively and effectively. Mm-hmm. But once we've figured out where we're going, then we spend a lot of time talking about what kind of images can we use? What kind of object lessons can we use? Um, yeah. How are we going to tie this into the worship so that it's a, a one cohesive a thing that's happening on Sunday yeah. rather than a bunch of disjointed ideas? Like we, You don't have a, a really cool illustration and then find a great text to preach that, that illustration from. So we don't have a really cool you know, banner on the stage that we then go and match a sermon series yes, to. It's, yes. it's got to come from the sermon series. Well, and it, ke- it keeps me from just, you know, I'm mad at the way things are going right now, whether it's in our world or in our church or in our city. And so I'm going to go off on this for a while. Yeah. Five weeks, I'm just going to go off. Um, I just know a lot of preachers that do that, and I understand the temptation to. Yeah. You know, I just, marriages aren't working well. I'm just mad. I'm going to preach a marriage. <laughs> No, let's just, uh, I love the idea of planned preaching. I mean, you described it, that we're already writing the August stuff. And uh, and then once a Bible book comes in, I mean, it just falls into place yeah. in the weeks. Like, sorry, we're going to be spending uh, a year in Luke. Yeah. You know? And so we're willing to allow that to happen and then believe that God is going to be the one that's going to honor that as his word is proclaimed. And so sometimes it's we, we feel compelled to preach this idea or this topic and other times it is we comp- we compelled uh, or compelled to teach this particular narrative or this particular Bible book, and letting those things kind of set the agenda instead of Jim's feelings or Steve's feelings is is probably one of the best ways that we can honor the work of the Spirit. Yeah, that's good. That's good, and that is that's ultimately our goal to yeah. honor kind of where the Spirit is leading us and hopefully convey those truths to our people in a way that is allowing the Word to transform and allowing the Spirit to do His work in them through the word that he inspired. so And that's why, you know, that's why one of the, I remember walking into a church builders class, which is one of our Sunday school classes here, and they had just finished Philippians. And it was, it was I don't know, maybe I'd had this thought before, but I remember thinking, like, I wonder if I just stumbled into that class and I just kind of asked them what was going on, whether or not I could tell what they just finished studying. Hmm. And I love uh, certain foods, and my wife can't stand being around me after I've eaten certain foods. She'll just say, you know, you had a lot of garlic or you had a lot of, you know, what were you eating today, right? And I'm thinking that 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 is really what we want our sermons to do. We don't want to just, hey, that was awesome. Like we need to get not just through Philippians, but we need to get Philippians through us. And that's really what these sermons are designed to do is not for us to just convey ideas or thoughts, but literally to transform us so that we are and then practicing church right yes um, living out the gospel as described in Luke right uh, being suffering faithful people as, as in first Peter and then coming up like a people that are prepared biblically for culture and the church's misstepping and that's what we desire 
And so we say preaching helps accomplish this. It's good. It's good. Thanks, guys, for sharing a little bit. I hope this has been helpful for uh, those listening and uh, um, something kind of valuable as they're thinking through when they hear sermons, knowing where those things came from.